Good morning. morning. It's uh, great to see you this morning, and uh, for me, the attendance has improved considerably in just one week. I would think we're about 20% uh, more today, and next week another 20%, and then the week after that another, and what is it? Every five years, we, every four and a half years, we would double at that rate, right? Uh, you know, I like the uh, movements that we've been singing. We began by singing about God's great love for us, and uh, now we sang about passing that love on, give unto you as it was, give unto others as it was given to you. And uh, that is the pattern, I believe, in the Bible. We start with God's love for us. That's step number one. And for us to realize that and to, to embrace that. And uh, then at the same time to be passing it on to others. Make me a blessing. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is especially our part in blessing others. Let's pray. Lord, help us this morning to be aware of our richness because of Jesus Christ and what we have in him. And help us then to have a sense of security, a sense of peace, and also a sense of our own richness in Christ. And then at the same time, be alert to being a blessing to others. And so, Father, we pray that as we consider your word this morning, there will be different things that each one of us can especially resonate with. We pray, I commit myself to you to, to be a blessing in sharing your word. In Jesus' name, amen. One Sunday morning... A husband was awakened by his wife saying, You've got to get up. Got to get up this morning. It's Sunday. And the husband said, I don't want to get up this morning, but you've got to get up this morning. Well, just give me one reason why you've got to get up this morning. I'll give you two reasons why you should get up this morning. Uh, first of all, it is Sunday and you've got to go to church. And uh, not only that, but you go to church and uh, you just might receive a blessing. In fact, I'll give you a third reason why you should go. We've got to go to church, and by going to church, you might be a blessing and you might receive a blessing. But then there's a third reason why you've got to go to church today. You're the pastor. Hard to get out of that one. But being a blessing and receiving a blessing. Something that uh, stands out for me in the pattern of God's Word is that uh, God's method from day one has been to not only work with individuals and to save as many individuals as He can, but He's been working with a group with a people. For example, uh, in the Old Testament we see how he created Israel, who would be God's people through whom the Messiah would come. 
And then we get into the Old Testament when the Messiah, there's John the Baptist, first of all, that is preparing the way. And again, uh, his assignment was to prepare a people, the group, the corporate entity, who will be prepared for the Messiah. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, even though he works with many individuals, he especially works with the twelve. Uh, he has all these other disciples too, but then he selects 12 that are going to be with him and uh, become actually the, shall we say, the layer, the foundation of the church because it says that the church is built upon the prophets and the apostles and Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Well, when Jesus announces his vision, his mission, to his apostles. What does he say? I will build my I will build my church, corporate entity. And then after Pentecost, as the disciples proclaimed the whole Christ event to people in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and eventually to the far corners of the earth. What happened? Churches were established. Christians in community. Christians in relationships. And uh, as we read the, especially the letters, the epistles in the New Testament, uh, so much of the instructions there, so much of it has to do with how Christians are to relate to one another. How to be in our togetherness. And it is in our togetherness, it is in our being church, and through that, that God does his work in the world, the church. And so this morning we're going to look at one text, and there are many like that, but one text that has to do with the way we are to influence one another within the church. And so uh, follow me then as I read from Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm just going to read two verses, but in this setting, uh, the writer to the Hebrews, he's been talking about faith, he's been talking about hope, and now beginning here in verse 24, he talks about love and how that through love we are to influence one another. Verse 24, and let us... Why don't recite it with me? Read from there and let's recite it together, these two verses. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Thank you. As he is talking here, he talks about spurring one another towards love, and that's in the NIV translation, spur. Now, I think probably those of us who live in Edmonton and uh, on the prairies, we know what spurs are. I, I really wonder if, if they're reading the NIV in New York City. I wonder, would they even understand what the word spur means? But I think we, we all know that spurs are these metal objects that uh, uh, cowboys wear on their heels, and so they use them to prod the, 
the horse to run faster as they dig into the side of the horse. And uh, that is what the writer is saying here. He's saying that uh, uh, spur, spur one another on, or other translations have provoke or stimulate, stir up. And so there's a call here that somehow we are to prod, we are to urge, we are to stimulate the other person forward. How? Towards what end? Towards love and good deeds. And uh, he's saying here, one another, not just the leaders, but one another. In this we're together, we're equal. One another, mutual, reciprocal. And love and good deeds, not just love as a feeling or love as a sentiment or camaraderie alone, but it's a love that translates into doing good. That's the call here, that somehow in our togetherness we are to influence, prod, spur each other towards being a loving people and doing good. And this this fits in so well with, with uh, Richard Nyberg. He was in a, a theologian in, in the U.S. Uh, last century. And he defined the purpose of the church like this. It's for the increase of the love of God and neighbor. Hard to disagree with that. What's the, what's the purpose of church? Well, it's that there be more love towards God. And of course, as we embrace the person of Christ and realize how much He loves us, we love God in return. And of course, to love one another, the increase of the love of God and neighbor. And so somehow our being together regularly, being in relationships with brothers and sisters, is to have an outcome. More love. More good deeds. But how? How then are we to make that happen? And uh, there are so many passages that talk about the various nuances of this and give us good instruction. Well, here in this text, there are three words that uh, together speak to us how we can influence each other in this way. And the words are consider. Consider one another. How you can spur one another on. Meeting together. It's not going to happen if we're not together. And then the outcome being we can encourage one another. We heard some of that earlier in some of the prayer requests and testimonies. Encouraging one another. So beginning with consider, he says, let us, let us consider how we can do this. Or uh, actually, I like the, uh, some of the, other the older translations. They, got, they represent the word order in the original a little better where it's consider one another in order you see, to provoke. But consider the other person, the person that you're shaking hands with today or the person you're going to have lunch with today or uh, the person that you especially have fellowship with. Consider this person carefully. And uh, when you do then, that you are able then to influence the person in the direction of love and doing good. And uh, the word uh, consider is a word that uh, is used to describe the way Jesus uh, considered some people who were uh, trying to trick him. In uh, Luke chapter 20, uh, we have the account where it says that the uh, 
teachers of the law and the chief priests, they sent spies to talk to Jesus, to try to kind of trick him up. And they pretended to be sincere. And then they asked them a, a question that uh, either answer might be problematic. He said, tell us, is it, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And, uh, and then Luke tells us that Jesus saw through their duplicity. Uh, he, it's the same word, but instead of it being translated consider here, it says he saw through their duplicity, or RSV has perceived their craftiness, or another one detected their trickery. Uh, Jesus considered them in a way where he understood what was going on. He was not fooled. He considered with discernment and insight. And uh, this really fits with the way Jesus responded to every individual he met. Uh, he didn't approach people in a cookie-cutter way or an assembly line approach, but he was able to consider the individual and understand where the person was coming from. He was able to consider with discernment. And then he could respond in a way that was appropriate and helpful. And that's a good model for us. Consider carefully, with discernment. Look beyond the surface in love as you look at that other person. Frederick Buechner says that if we are to love our neighbors before doing anything else, we have to see our neighbors. Isn't that good? Before we can do anything else, we have to see the person. It reminds me of how I, so often I think a, a concerned uh, mother will say to the dad, as the uh, young people are growing up, maybe the, maybe the daughter is uh, 12, 13 years old, have you, really, have you re really seen your daughter these days? She's quickly becoming a teenager. The first step in love is to be able to see the other person. And it's true about loving any neighbor. And here, of course, he's talking about brothers and sisters within the body of Christ, within the local congregation. Listen, observe, become aware of what's unique about the other person. What are her strengths? What are the weaknesses? The dreams, the hurts, the anxieties, the potential. But the bottom line really is to be genuinely interested. These other things take place unconsciously. But do you care? Are you interested? Not just, how are you doing? Oh, that's good. Sometimes that's the appropriate way, of course, in the, in the, in the shuffle and in the movement of things. But when it comes to real fellowship, are you really interested? And you know, I find myself that I'm drawn to people who take that kind of interest in me. We received such a nice note from Drayton Valley this uh, last, uh, uh, last week in the, in the mail. It was amazing how one of, the, one of the persons writing had really considered in describing what she appreciated. Consider. Buechner said, the first thing in, in love is to see the other person. Here's a similar note uh, written by someone by the name of Trish Harrison Warren. And this is what she said, a mentor of mine used to say, 
the first way to love someone is to be intrigued by them. Isn't that good? I think of that newborn baby, how we love them. We're intrigued. We, we consider this and we're intrigued, you know, ten fingers and ten toes and hair that I wonder what color it's going to be and the eyes. And that's a little bit of a model of how we are to consider one another. Be intrigued. Be intrigued to the person that you're going to relate to. Think of it. This person is the only one like it. This person is unique. Created in the image of God, but different from anyone else. And for all the differences that we may initially think we don't even like, that's, that's an intriguing part. That's a unique part. Consider. See the person. Be intrigued by him. And then you'll be able to pray for them with genuine interest and knowledge. Then you'll be, I think, even unconsciously, without trying particularly, because it's not to pry or to meddle, but it's to observe and, and be, pay attention to what's going on. Then I believe we'll be able to motivate, to influence, or even as it says at the end of this text, encourage them to love and to do good. Consider one another. Second word is meeting. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Um, obviously, in order for this to really work, we need to have some time together. <laughs> like that uh, silly story at the beginning. Come to church, you, you might be a blessing to someone. It's not just receiving a blessing, but being a blessing as well. And, and it takes togetherness. It takes time together. Works best face to face. And our Sunday morning worship in our small group. Visits perhaps during the week. Third John, verse 14, <clears throat> he writes, he says, I, I hope to see you soon and we will talk face to face. I like that. Maybe today he would have said we will talk eyeball to eyeball, right? Something special about that. Well, in this setting, it seems that some were in the habit of neglecting their coming together. Perhaps it was weariness. Uh, I suspect it had to do with fear of persecution because there was persecution going on. And maybe some were discouraged enough to consider going back on their commitment. Uh, whatever the reasons, they're warned, don't do it. You need each other. Continue to be a community so that you can be at your best. Additional reasons that might apply today might be the busyness. We, we are busy. And uh, there are many reasons that make it difficult to fellowship regularly with brothers and sisters. Shift work. Many different responsibilities. And if you are at that age where you're raising your children, you want them to be part of so many things. Uh, that means shuffling your week around with taxiing here and there. You know, we want our kids to have sports and music and drama and different clubs. And so it makes it difficult. Uh, but I, I, I think there's another reason too, and that sometimes maybe we think we're self, we're okay, we got it together, you know. 
and we can uh, listen to Bible teachers on the television and so on and so forth. And my goodness, they're such a blessing to a lot of people who are not able to get together with uh, fellowship. But there's nothing quite like being together, the face to face. And I suspect in our world there could even be another reason, and that is our society is very much of an individualistic society. I think that's changing a bit. I would think that if you're 35 years old and younger, uh, your generation is a little more aware of the need for togetherness than the baby boomers. And uh, you'll see some of the younger folks today, they prefer to uh, live maybe right in the middle of downtown even, so they can be more, you know, live simpler and be close to work and so on. But I think there's also an awareness more of a need for togetherness. But, uh, you know, in North America, we're pretty individualistic. And I'm afraid that too often the evangelical church has sort of bought into that, applying it almost to the gospel that the gospel is all about my own individual salvation instead of realizing that the teaching of the gospel is that as we make a commitment to Christ, we are part of his body at that point. And it's not really a choice. It's just the way it is. It is what it is. Except Christ is Savior and you're part of the body of Christ. And what is it they say? You can choose your friends but not your relatives. And when you become a Christian, you are part of the family of God and the family members need and depend on each other for prayer. Even this morning, as, uh, as you shared prayer requests, and those are for taking home with us. They weren't necessarily prayed for publicly, nor do they need to be, because we heard them, so we take them home with us. Togetherness. We need each other to be at our best. It's true of me, it's true of the person that I'm fellowshipping with. Someone might be saying here, well, how can I be of help to others? I'm not talented. I got nothing to offer. Or maybe you're saying, well, I used to have a lot to offer, but, you know, now I'm too old. There isn't much that I can do to be of help. How can I be of help to someone else? Let me tell you, here's a delightful fable that I picked up someplace. Just enjoy. Don't take it too seriously. This is a light moment, okay? <laughs> but the fable is about a young orphan boy who had no family and no one to love him. Feeling sad and lonely, he was walking through a meadow one day when he saw a small butterfly caught in a thorn brush. The more the butterfly struggled to free itself, the deeper the thorns cut into its fragile body. So the boy carefully released it. But instead of it flying away, the butterfly was transformed into an angel. For your wonderful kindness, I will do whatever you like. The little boy thought for a moment and then said, I want to be happy. Very well, said the angel, and leaned over and whispered something into the boy's ear and then vanished. The boy grew up, and no one in the land was as happy as he. When people asked him to tell his secret, he would only smile and say, 
I listened to an angel when I was a little boy. On his deathbed, his neighbors rallied around him and asked him to divulge the secret of his happiness. Now an old man, he finally told them. The angel told me that everyone, no matter how secure they seemed, no matter how old or young, how rich or poor, everyone had need of me. And the little boy obviously believed it and lived it. And so it is with the body of Christ. Every member is needed. Old, young, beginners, veterans. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 to 27. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. And then going down to verse 25, uh, or go, go down to 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And here is the conclusion. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. Everyone has need of me. Everyone has need of me. The older need the younger. The younger need the older. The weaker, the stronger. The stronger, the weaker. Beginners in the faith need the mature ones and the mature ones need the beginners. And whoever you are, you are needed, each part. And so there's this need for togetherness, this need for togetherness. How do we influence one another towards love and good works? Well, we consider each other carefully. We spend time together. And then thirdly, and that's the outcome, encouraging but encouraging one another. And that word but there is the contrast, isn't it? He's been saying, don't, don't fail to spend time together. But instead of being absent in fellowship, from fellowship, from fellowshipping, instead of that, encouraging one another. And that word is to influence someone to follow the proper course of action. It can be anything from, well, it can be exhortation. It can be a soothing word of comfort. It can be a challenge. And any of that has the effect of There, we're together again. How about that? So I'll just, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Rewind the tape a bit. We'll start again. Um, Encouragement. How do we do that? Well, we need a warm smile, friendly handshake, a hug. Sometimes we encourage simply by being there for our 
uh, for being there shows that we care. And of course, we encourage by words. Proverbs 15:23 to make an apt answer is a joy to anyone. And a word in season, how good it is. Or another one, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Words. What kind of words? Well, words of interest. How was your trip? Words of appreciation. Thank you. Words of love. Words of observation. I notice you give a lot of time to your flower garden. Oh, I'm glad somebody noticed. (laughs) Words of sympathy. Words of support. Words that give someone a boost. Sometimes words that give someone a boot. Words. Major emphasis in this whole book of Hebrews is, you know, hang in there. Persevere. Endure. Because the the writer addresses people who, because of persecution, are being discouraged, perhaps, and certainly in danger of throwing in the towel. And so they especially needed each other and the encouragement that they would receive one from another. And in chapter 3, the writer uh, says, See to it, brothers, that none of you have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And then the next verse, But instead of that, encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The assumption here is that for them the Christian life was challenging and there was a danger that some might give up, but of course there's a warning for us too. There is a battle. Sin is deceitful. And without encouraging one another, some of us might be hardened. And uh, I think you've experienced that. I've certainly experienced that. There's something about being together that sort of renews our sense, yes, we're on the right track. And uh, we're subject to different kinds of temptations, temptations to compromise or to conform or to hide our light, to shortchange kingdom interests for lesser things, to lessen our commitment, or just even to give in. And the need for encouragement is so true in every season of life. I think of those uncertain, anxious teen years My wife and I are so grateful that uh, we were in churches where it was possible for our children to have peers and to be encouraged by uh, young people a little older than them. And uh, when we got to Winnipeg, we didn't have a lot of that in the church, but they lived, you know, we were close to Providence Seminary, and so there were youth retreats. And uh, one of the neighboring uh, churches, one of the Mennonite churches in the in the area was there and happy to receive them for pioneer girls and uh, boys brigades, that type of thing. But uh, there are those uncertain, anxious teen years. There are those early adult years when so much about our future is decided. And it seems almost like a cruel reality that uh, uh, before you're even mature, you make decisions that uh, have implications for the rest of your life. And then there are those parenting years that are so crowded and so much is at stake. And then, of course, the later years when we are less able to be as involved and begin to question our own significance. But we all then need those reassuring reminders that we matter 
and that we're not alone in our pilgrimage. And it could be that even today, you will say something or you will express something that will make a significant difference in the other person's life. Uh, I think it was about a month ago, I, uh, I wrote a, a, a note to one of our uh, leaders in our denomination, Canadian Baptist of Western Canada. And uh, this is a brother who has been uh, a leader for about, I don't know, about 12 years. For some reason, uh, he has decided it was time to step aside. So I thought I should, I wanted to remind him of something. Expression of appreciation for something. And uh, in the process, I mentioned that thing, but also thanked him for years of service. But this is part of what I wrote to him. I said, there is a memory I want to share with you about something you said to me about 35 years ago at that mini-seminar. I guess it must have meant a lot since I still remember it. You said that I should not allow not having had university training intimidate me that I had done years of reading, so thank you for that little nugget that meant much. I sent it and didn't think any more of it. I guess I was just glad that I expressed some appreciation. And then a few days later, this note came back. Dear Lloyd, you have no idea how kind this note has landed on me. It is a timing that is from God and a gift from you, dear brother. Peace of the Lord be with you. I look forward to seeing each other in the future. Now, that meant a lot to him, obviously, and meant a lot to me. But I bring that in here partly because I want to, I want to say that usually we don't know how much those little gestures mean. Usually we don't know that something may have made a big difference. Easy for him because he's in that kind of work where he's forever responding to, you know, to, to different words that are sent to him. But in most cases, by far most cases, we won't even know how much those words meant to the other person. Therefore, we need to live that way as a pattern. Whereas we meet together, we genuinely consider the other person. Where we're intrigued by the other person. Where we really see the other person. And then out of that, we're intentionally, intentionally, we offer words of encouragement. Here in the Canada and the north, we all know about the Canada geese. We know that they fly in a V formation. Uh, you may also know that they break the wind resistance for each other this way, and that they take turns being in the front. But here's a, a thing that uh, you may not know. Geese also honk at one another. They're not critics, but they're encouragers. Those in the rear sound off to exhort those up front to stay on course and maintain their speed. <laughs> and they travel in formation because as each bird flaps its wings, it creates an updraft for the bird behind it. They can go 70% further in a group 
than they could if they flew alone. Christians are like that in a way. We can get a lot further together than we can alone. Here he says, encourage one another. Again, it's both ways. Sometimes we're on the giving end, sometimes on the receiving end, often both together. So as we take time for one another, even as we go from here this morning, be prepared to receive encouragement, be prepared to give encouragement. Surely the local church should be the most encouraging community in the world. If not, why not? So, the good news is that we can be. Honk if you love Jesus.